Hello, friends and folks, and welcome to the first ever recording of On Her Majesty's Secret Playlist. I'm Six Detmar from Scanline Media. And I'm Jennifer Uncle, also from Scanline Media. And uh, Jen, what is On Her Majesty's Secret Playlist? So we've, or at, at a certain point, I think maybe I was the one who was talking about it like years ago like at some point i had a plan to be like okay i'm going to pick up every james bond video game just because i played a lot of them as a kid i'm gonna find a way to record all of them and i'm gonna do video essays for each and every one like but turns out i'm not much of a video essayist and uh i don't believe you do much video essays either six so you kind of surprised me with the idea earlier this year like Hey, what if we did a James Bond podcast? And I, I was completely down for it because these are some legitimately some of the most interesting licensed games out there, and uh, it's fun to have an opportunity to go back and play through them all. I mean, I just I was just looking for you to tell me like what what song was on her playlist. Oh, <laughs> I, I guess in the in this case it would be whatever that. This was the first Bond game where they recorded their own, like, Bond music theme for it, exclusive for this game. Oh, come on. She's not listening to that. Hmm. You're kidding yourself. Okay, okay. We're going to pick a song every time. Uh, We're going to find, okay, music. So, uh, Queen Elizabeth II was born April 21st, 1926. Uh, She's also a horrible person. So, let's see. What was on the wireless back then? Um, Okay. We're going to play a little bit of uh, today's song from Her Majesty's Secret Playlist, Old Buttermilk Sky by Joe Loss and his orchestra featuring Howard Jones. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I've never heard this song before, so I'm sorry if it sucks shit. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get to find out with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, because for our first ever episode, we're here with James Bond 007 Nightfire. Yeah, specifically, well, I played the GameCube version. Not sure which version you played, but... Uh... I was on the PlayStation 2, but we are talking about the home console version. Um, we will probably never cover the Windows slash Mac version, because there's no point. It's just the same game, but, like, slightly worse. But, I mean, that Game Boy version, that Game Boy Advance version, it's possible. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, at some point, we were floating the idea of playing all the different versions of various games that we could get our hands on. And 
while I do think that might be necessary for like the world is not enough, um, for this one, not so much just because like the PC version just has a awful reputation of being, as you said, the same game, but worse. They took out all the driving sections and, uh, simplified the plot a lot. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, we're going to, we're going to hop around the timeline. Um, we wish we wanted to go in a straight chronological order, but as you might expect, British intelligence caught on to this plan, and we are only allowed to cover things that have been declassified. So, I'm sorry if our approach is a little scattershot. What can we do? Our hands are tied. <laughs> Indeed. Should we... What, what should we do first? Should we... This is a new podcast. We can go with whatever format we want. Should we mm -hmm. tackle the plot first, or should we... No. Okay. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Because okay. we do that everywhere else. And you know what? This is, we're going to need a stealthier approach here. Tell me, Jen. Have you played Nightfire before? Oh, yeah. Like, um, Nightfire and uh, Agent Under Fire, which we'll get to eventually. Um, mm -hmm. Nightfire was kind of a mainstay for my friend group in, like, uh, middle school. Specifically because it had um, four-person like deathmatch and you could the thing that makes this game really cool in a multiplayer context is you can you have a grappling hook that you can use to fly around the map so you could arm yourself with a sniper rifle like grapple up to a tall ledge and it wasn't exactly sneaky because split screen multiplayer your friend could just look at where you were but uh <laughs> it was fun to just constantly battle over who had the high ground and fight people that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think multiplayer wise, I played a lot more of agent under fire, but single player wise, I played more night fire. Um, when we talk about agent under fire, I'll have to talk about the matches where we decided the only weapon you were allowed to use was the grappling hook. So you just shot the grappling hook into people's faces rapidly to do damage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think that, uh, the no odd job role still carried over to this game as well. Um, mm -hmm. Though I can't say for certain whether they still had the situation where the hitboxes were accurately mapped based on height or not. Yeah, I can't. I can't say either. I didn't. I don't. I don't think we were ever serious enough about the competition because by this point we were like these games are not as good as D the GoldenEye 007 in our opinion. Was that was how we felt, um, and so it was like we don't. We're not here for a fair competition. We're here to fuck around. Yeah. Um, and we would set up, set up obstacle courses that you had to go through on a jetpack without hitting the trip mines. I mean, like we were just having a fun time. <laughs> yeah. I think our friend group felt the same way about it not being as good as GoldenEye back then, but like going back to it, I feel like maybe this has aged a little bit better than GoldenEye, but <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because this is a game that does like to this day i think we're finally starting to, we finally in the last generation started to get a few bond games that were starting to poke their head out from underneath the shadow of goldeneye at least a little bit but back on the ps2 and gamecube generation we absolutely were not these games like you go into the control schemes and it's like how what control scheme do you want and one of the control schemes is goldeneye right like the shadow of that game looms large over this this title um, yeah, Goldeneye is the reason why EA Games bought the license at all. Like, or 
whatever you do when you just have the rights to the license for a while. Um, mm-hmm. They saw the, they saw how well Nintendo and Rare did, scooped it up for themselves, and were like, okay, we're going to make new things while trying, while trying to be like, hey, remember that previous game when folks uh, rub up against it? Yeah, and uh, this was uh, developed by uh, Eurocom, uh, so don't um, don't forget that name. Uh, unfortunately, Eurocom uh, shut down in December of 2012, but this is not the last time we're going to talk about them on this show. Uh, Her Majesty often deferred to Eurocom to make Bond games. We have several. We have uh, Nightfire. We have uh, the GoldenEye Wii. We have, uh, of course, GoldenEye 007 Reloaded. We have 007 Legends. We have James Bond Jr. They did some work. Yeah, they were fairly prolific, at least with Bond games. 64 version of the world is not enough, but not the PS1 version. Yeah. Um, And here's the thing that really surprised me. Nightfire is still pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it it's not the most intelligent story ever, but it's still like, it still does a good job of placing you within a, within a original Bond story and just uh, giving you an opportunity to go to various locales, use gadgets and uh, shoot your way through dozens of guards. Yeah. So this is not um, at all based on any movie. This is a completely original story they came up with. Um, And, uh, Perhaps you could lay it out for us, Jen. What's going on in, in here in Nightfire? Okay, so after um, Bond and uh, French operative Dominique Paradis um, end up... This game does a cold open where basically the two of them are stopping a nuclear explosion from, um, from going off in Paris. And uh, after they succeed, they have a celebratory... Um, New Year's celebration in the car and, uh, was it in the car? You know, champagne and sex. Yeah. Yeah. And then it cuts to the title sequence. And, uh, after that, Bond is put on the trail of, uh, Raphael Drake, who's described as an industrialist who owns a massive company and is often said to be a philanthropist, but, uh, seems to have some ties to a missing militarized space station. So yeah, because a large part of his business is um, like, he's hired to like decommission like nuclear things. Like, okay, we've got nuclear missiles that we're decommissioning. We've got this nuclear power plant. We're decommissioning you like his, his company Phoenix international specializes in coming in and like, listen, we clean everything up. It's like, there was nothing radioactive ever here because we stole it and put it into our own nukes that we're building. Surprise. <laughs> but yeah, Bond ends up uh, traveling to Austria, um, to one of Drake's parties, um, sneaks into the party and acts casual for a while before, um, noticing the handover of a, specific um space station chip by a employee named alexander mayhew and after bond takes the prerequisite information um he meets up with another secret agent there's a few secret agents in this game (laughs) Mm -hmm. um all of them women except for bond um 
he meets up with Zoe Nightshade from the CIA. Um, but uh, also happens to run into Dominique from the last mission there too, who seems to be getting close to Drake to find out information in her own way. Um, after Bond hears certain code words like Operation Nightfire, he has to rescue Zoe. They travel via cable car out of the castle, and then they head off on a snowmobile armed with a... What is it? Like, just like a mounted gun? Yeah. 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 Wasn't sure of the name of it, but yeah. There's a lot of mounted guns in this. Like, you, there is a mission where you end up stealing an enemy jeep, and by chance, your jeep is the one that has missiles and a machine gun instead of just a machine gun, so you win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's certainly good luck on his part. Yeah, th this game occasionally, I think it has two on-rail sequences, but the others are like, you have direct control over the vehicle in some way. Yeah. Um, so let's see, Total. Let's let's do a total lady spy count, right? We have uh, Dominique Paradis, who, spoilers, gets killed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of uh, Kiko, who is the bodyguard of Alexander Mayhew, who works for Drake, but then gets flipped because he's he worries his boss is going to kill him. Um, and Kiko's his bodyguard, but then Kiko like ends up working with you. But then she's a she's secretly she's a double spy. She's just pretending, and then she betrays you. Um, and gets uh, Dominic killed. You've got Allura McCall, who is the Australian lady who has no person. I mean, listen, women in Bond movies do be having no personality, but Alora really takes it to the next level. <laughs> and it's so funny, like, immediately after Dominique dies, um, after Bond leaps off the skyscraper with uh, a parachute and all that. Well, I, oh, I actually, I think that he had to go down the stairs for that one. Um, he ends up um, hitching a ride with Alora, who happens to be there, and is like, oh yeah, my... MI6 told me you were here and needed someone to go pick you up. And it's just like one person dies and immediately another one shows up. <laughs> it's... But it's it's so funny because it's like, okay, so we introduce Dominique and then, uh, you know, also there's Kiko, but then Kiko gets Dominique killed, which also means that Kiko's out because she's evil. And then here's Alora, And it's like, hey, remember Zoe? And they're like, what? It's like, Zoe, you had her for a while and then she just disappears from the story? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, she didn't die. She's fine. She just stopped. They just forgot that they made another woman. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and like after, like after Kiko, after the situation with Kiko, Alexander Mayhew, like gets killed by Ninja while you're trying to extract him just because he knows too uh -huh. much. Um, and then after you escape Kiko's trap, like, you end up traveling to the South Pacific with Laura. Um, you go through a few installations before heading over to this specific island. Like, getting in your car and using the car to, like, do some underwater driving. Because <laughs> it's a submarine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aston Martin is very versatile car, <laughs> at least in the Bond world. <laughs> Listen, I, I, 
Aston Martins break a lot. They're really high maintenance cars. I feel like it would really be a bummer if your engine stalled out at the bottom of the ocean. I would not use an Aston Martin for this. <laughs> yeah, but this is all. This game also came out at the same time as Die Another Day, I believe. So they mm. had to get the car from the movie into the game as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, basically you end up heading over to the launch facility inside this island. Um, I forget where you initially meet Rook. It might have been at that previous installation, but uh, essentially at some point you burn half his face off and he's like, okay, I'm going to even the odds with you now. And of course you just kill him. And, and then, then you shoot him with six grenades and he dies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Then when you head to the missiles, uh, Kiko pushes you down to the area where the rockets actually fire. So you have to run into this alcove to hide. And uh, once you get back up there, as she's running to one of the last rockets to take off, you pull the same trick on her <laughs> where she runs out and you press the button that makes the um, walkway disappear. And she burns to death from the rocket. Uh-huh. And, and so then you go to... So, okay. They establish really early on that this missile guidance chip that they're that they're pursuing, right? That you say you rescue pretty early on, but it's like it turns out there are bigger problems, right? Yeah. Um, is like, okay, so this is intended for the U.S.'s SDP or Space Defense Platform, which is like, oh, yeah, the U.S. just built a space station that is covered in ICBMs. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> they did what? It's like, oh yeah, this is a British dev. They're just brutally honest about like, yeah, no, of course the of course Americans would do this. Yep. <laughs> so you head out to space and using a space laser you have to deactivate all the missiles and then shoot Drake to death with the space laser. So here's the thing. You don't deactivate the missiles. You shoot the, like, the hinge holding them so that they fire wildly. You wildly shoot eight AC ICBMs. And it's like, mission accomplished. It's like, those went somewhere. <laughs> A couple of them hit the station, but some of them didn't. Like, is Earth okay? Uh, now, now scientists in this world are just, like, nervously watching every time the missile travels around Earth's trajectory. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> gotta do something about this <laughs> yeah after that good, you good work bond it may be true that you know pakistan no longer exists but london's okay so god bless like guys <laughs> and of course bond escapes the exploding space station lands on earth right where allura was still was apparently just because yeah. it, it's super easy to just take an escape pod and land precisely where you need to on earth from space and uh the two of them take the aston martin they take the aston martin underwater again using what bond calls autopilot so they can fuck in the car <laughs> i really i really don't think i would be able to i mean i don't know i guess i guess but like doesn't it seem really stressful to have sex while you're like at the bottom of the ocean and like if the window cracks you drown yeah, that, I can't say that'd be the most romantic situation for me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe the risk makes it kinky. I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. Also, I 
I have seasickness sometimes, so I'm just imagining one of them, like, trying to hold back barf while they're... <laughs> <laughs> oh, desperately rolling down the window and... Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one... Okay, so one thing we have to address is they uh, they use a laser digitizer to get the the model of this is is Pierce Brosnan. They use his head, and it it's a pretty damn convincing Pierce Brosnan. And then he talks. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if this happened to you when you finished the game, but, like, as soon as it finished to me, right before it rolled credits, it did a whole behind-the-scenes thing on how the mm-hmm. game was made. And, yep. like, someone at Eurocom was like, yeah, we got Pierce Brosnan in this game. He's the real McCoy. Everything about him's real. And then <laughs> just completely glossing over the fact that they got a actor named Maxwell Caulfield, who... I think has only been in one other video game is mostly a film and TV actor to play Bond and here. not, not like good. movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His only other video game credit is in Aragon as Brom. <laughs> well, God bless him. He tried, but yeah, he's, he, I mean, he probably tried in that. He didn't try here. He's so bored. Yeah, he just kind of delivers lines like, I've been... <laughs> <laughs> like, he even, he doesn't quip when Kiko dies, but when he does quip, it's like, it's like, oh, you know, he shoots someone, he's like, seems like you caught a bullet, bye. <laughs> it's like, buddy, you really... Come on! <laughs> yeah, it, it's especially funny when... Well, sadly, they don't ever line up his quips to any of the secret Bond moments, which are little tokens you mm. get when you do something that's considered particularly James Bondish, which <laughs> includes things like uh, driving through a busy shopping mall or a, a ski yeah, resort. <laughs> I, I, I wish they had leaned more into the fact that they're not always, like, good things to do, right? Like, some of them, like, the, the worst ones are, like, there's a turret sequence where you're, like, shooting at, like, tanks and airplanes. And it's, like, every time you shoot down all three airplanes, it's, like, that was a Bond moment. And it's, like, uh, okay. <laughs> but, like, but then, yeah, as you say, it's, like, <laughs> you unnecessarily drove through a shopping mall and nearly killed a ton of civilians bond moment it's like yeah that is a bond moment he is an irresponsible dick <laughs> yeah one of the most well i don't know if it's one of the most famous golden eye scenes but the part where he gets in a tank and just drives through um <laughs> a part of russia <laughs> uh yeah he's just he's just rolling through the streets streets of saint petersburg crushing shit <laughs> it's just like okay um i do also like like imagine if they had leaned into that because the the bond moments are like they're sort of treated like collectibles they raise your score they get you unlocks and stuff um imagine if they leaned into it like oh in the car missions it's a bond moment when you finish with almost no health left because bond always breaks his cars yeah (laughs) and i did finish with almost no health left at certain vehicle missions like uh, they're hard especially i feel like the I feel like the meanest one is the one where you get into the plane and you have yes. to, like, um, go through a rail shooter situation. Um, 
Specifically because they don't give you unlimited ammo. Like, they never give you unlimited ammo for any of these, but, like, for the snowmobile one, they give you plenty of ammo to get through it. Yeah, I mean, like, this is that's the only one that is, like, a real shooter, other than, the like, the genuine turret sequence, but that's really short, right? With you that, that like, three-barreled turret on the ground. Um, that sequence is pretty short, so you don't have to worry about ammo there. But, like, all the other vehicle segments, except for the airplane, it's like there are ammo drops and stuff. You don't get ammo drops when you're on this, like, you know, rail shooter part. And so it's just like, okay, I've got two rockets left. What do I... And then you fire your last two rockets and you learn you have a machine gun that doesn't do shit. And you're like, okay. Yep. And it's also the one where they're not giving you armor pickups to, like, buoy your health a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Though it is, it is really funny to me, the first time I was doing a car mission, and I saw just a bulletproof vest on the ground, and I drove over it, and the car went, vroom, vroom, like it's zipping up a vest. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Aston Martin with the, with the secret Kirby features, just <laughs> engorging it or whatever. Mouthful mode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I guess... I wish I had more opportunities to use the gadget sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. there's like a level or two where you get to use the grappling hook, but even then, it's super limited range. Like, you have to be within five feet of it or something to actually grapple up. And there are like super like preset locations where you can use it. It's not like you can just grapple onto anything. It's like, oh, here is a grapple hook spot. There are four of them in this entire level, right? Yep, and they're all in the same cluster of level. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is it is a shame, but it is, and like, also, I had the problem of, you pointed out there's one mission that is, like, takes place at night, and you have access to, like, night vision goggles or whatever, right? Um, and I didn't realize that and didn't couldn't use them. Um, but there are a lot of missions where you don't have access to them, and playing on a modern TV... This game is fucking dark. I mean, like, almost all of the of this, like, PS2 games are just really dark. Um, yeah, have they ever, like... fucking see. <laughs> have they ever talked about why CRT games are just darker on flat screens than they were on CRTs? Well, because I'm, I'm not an expert, right? And I don't want to, like, please feel free to write in and correct me. But my understanding is, I mean, the way CRTs work is, like, you run electricity through the tube and it projects a light. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, so it can only get so dark. Whereas with like an LED or LCD screen, you can just not turn on parts of the screen. And that's how you do black sometimes. Basically. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, well, I mean, that's going to, you know, make a big difference. It's going to be really rough when we eventually get to GoldenEye because that had some dark, dark levels. Well, I'm working on a solution, but uh, also that game's pretty emulatable. <laughs> that is so true. So I guess yeah. Nightfire was too. I just I just sabotaged myself here. <laughs> yeah, it it also it's it's nice that they give you an opportunity to occasionally play stealthy with your gun stuff. Like uh you can put a silencer mm-hmm. on your pistol and uh if you're quick enough and careful enough you can get through a number of guards before anyone notices. Mm-hmm. You can even make people surrender. You can put a gun to their back and they'll just, they'll be removed from the fight. Um, Hard to do, but it is part of the game. Yeah. They also still use, like, the agent, double O agent and all that 
difficulty, mm -hmm. but in this case, all that does is just make it easier or harder. They're not throwing extra objectives at you, from what I could tell. Right, right. Um, it's just like enemy difficulty and how much damage they do, and also at the at the lowest level, they'll give you hints, um, which I feel like you should probably play through on on the lowest difficulty operative the first time through just so you get the hints because sometimes what they want you to do is not fucking clear it took me so long to figure out where the dragon was in the um in like the episode in like the the level with Mayhew just because i just kept passing the room 10 or 15 different times and didn't the dragon was a little far... It was a little off the beaten path for me. It's not like a big old statue or anything. It's kind of a small thing in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to put a little orb inside the dragon's mouth so you can open up a secret passage. Because that's yep. the kind of game this is. Oh, yeah. Which, that level also has, like... The, the like, the Japanese, like, thugs who are fighting there. Who just have the most, like... The voice acting is real bad. You know, it's it's like they're just saying like careful, be careful, careful, be careful, careful, be careful. But in Japanese, of course. And it's just like you don't sound like human beings. <laughs> yeah, this game has This game has some Orientalism to be sure. It's Bond. It sure is. Like yep. I mean you, you go to see Mayhew at his his, you know, Japanese manner and he's like, Please rescue my geisha girls. <laughs> and they're like, oh, Mr. Bond, however will I thank you? Would you like a blowjob? And they're like, he's like, maybe, maybe later. I'm, I'm a, I'm a little busy. I'm like, a little, All right, great. I'm a little busy. I'm a little awkward. So <laughs> I appreciate the offer, but no thanks. I've got this Werther's original in my mouth. It's kind of making me talk a little funny. You want to know something really weird about the writers of this? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay, so the writers are Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, which happens to be the same creative team who was behind uh, the Disney classic or not so classic movie, The Rocketeer. That's about the dude with a jetpack who fights crime or something, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> it, okay. It, yeah. <laughs> like, they. Like, they had a little bit in the 80s and 90s where they were writing movies, but at some point they just switched over to video games, specifically EA video games, for, like, a good decade. Um, huh. Yeah. They they wrote other things like Harry Potter. Like they wrote the Harry Potter games. They wrote Medal of Honor games. Uh, they wrote Warhammer and Saints Row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they right, worked. Sure. They worked on some stuff. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's perfectly serviceable writing. I had, I had plenty of fun. They don't, they don't have, they didn't put on, on Paul DeMeo's thing. They didn't give him credit for Nightfire. They should, we should add that to his writing credits. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rest in peace, Paul DeMeo, by the way. Uh, passed away in 2018. Well, thank you for your work. You know what? I like, I'm looking at some of these games. I think I think Goldeneye Rogue Agent is an incredibly fun game. I think it's mad stupid, but good job. You did you did the job you were hired for, and I respect it. <laughs> <sighs> that that one was the ultimate. Okay, we need to remind people about Goldeneye game. <laughs> how do you, how well do you remember Rogue Agent? 
Not at all, other than that the title was a bait and switch. But <laughs> Okay, yeah. then we need to play that one next, because Rogue Agent is wild. Okay. <laughs> it, okay, let me, let me, here's the, here's the pitch. You know how in the movie GoldenEye, the GoldenEye refers to like a sat, like an EMP satellite project? It was like a code name? Yeah. Right? In this, it's not a code name. The dude has a golden eye. And it gives him superpowers. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's definitely something we, do, we need to cover in the near future, if not next episode. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah we'll figure it out. But I, that's, that's definitely one of the ones I need to get to because, God, I, that, that, I have a lot of fond memories of that game that are, I'm sure, completely undeserved. But, like, the starting mission where you shoot Bond and then, like, and then it's like, Turn off the simulator. You were you were trying to you were trying to get a job at MI6 and you shot James Bond so you don't get the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know, with Nightfire, I I don't know. I really I really am curious to compare it to because I I remembered like for me in my memory of this period, it was like, you know. Age Under Fire and Nightfire were kind were kind of the two like like rivals in a way, right? Like the two like competing visions for a Bond game of this era. And I remember being like Agent Under Fire feels more like visually buttoned up and stuff. It's got a smoother presentation, but Nightfire is just a more fun game. Huh, okay. I always kind of saw that as the opposite to me, just because like Huh. Well, Agent Under Fire 1 is kind of the game where they didn't really have any actor likenesses yet, so they just made up one, and the cover purposefully obscures his face or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. it was also like a very, very early era um, PlayStation and Xbox game, so it felt like it was still them getting used to the technology and all that. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff I'm I'm excited to check out with this project. Um but I guess okay. So what was your favorite weapon? I think we're going to like all of these games are going to be shooters and you can say like a, a a vehicle weapon or something just like what was the best weapon or like let's pick best best weapon and best gadget. Um I want to say for best gadget, the best gadget is the decoder. Because just the way it does the animation of, like, figuring out, like, he's just randomly mashing on the phone and it figures out the code for the door is just really satisfying every time. <laughs> yeah, that, that part's pretty good. Um, let's see. I believe the camera is, like, within a fake lighter, right? That's how it yes. works? Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that's my favorite just because I like the little animation of him pulling out and stretching a lighter until it becomes a camera. That's a I also touch. I also like the part where if you just pull it out and like hit the trigger, he just lights the lighter, and that's literally never useful. <laughs> it's just like, no, you you gotta hold down the scope button to aim the camera. Otherwise, you're just doing Zippo tricks. <laughs> they should have really had someone in that initial party level, like when you're when you get inside and it's like, okay, you can't use weapons or anything for now. Like if you could just take out the lighter and. 
There's just someone, there, there's just a woman in the corner being like, oh, if someone could, if only I had someone who had a lighter, I forgot mine. <laughs> and then he used it at a Bond moment. <laughs> Ba-da-ba-da-da. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite weapon? You know, it's, I feel like it's so charming. This is so of a moment of the way video games get obsessed with, like, military technology. Because one of the here, let's night fire weapons. Let's let's get the proper name of this thing. Um, because it has a gun that is the OICW, right? Um, but what they call it is the Ames Twenty, and it is this massive gun that has the burst fire. Um, assault rifle, it has a scope, and then it also has the grenade launcher, right? Mm-hmm. And it's treated like, oh, this is kind of like the ultimate weapon in the game, really, right? Like, it's not like a super power weapon, but it's just like, this just solves any problem you have. Um, And it's just really funny to me because it is based on a weapon that the military said this thing sucks shit and stopped funding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a spray and pray weapon, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was just, it also weighed like 500 pounds. It was just so fucking heavy. <laughs> I mean, not literally, I'm I'm being hyperbolic, but it was an extremely heavy weapon to the point that they're like, soldiers can't use this. No. <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite, well, if we're going with one that you actually use in your hands. Um... <laughs> I mean, you can pick a vehicle one or something if you want. Well, I'm going to do both, like, uh. The one that you carry around, I I like the late game weapon you get where you kill Rook and you get his, like, gigantic, like, lightning, whatever it is. Just the big laser gun? Okay, you have to say the name of it, Jen, because it's the Phoenix Samurai, which yeah. is the most <laughs> stupid extra goddamn name. Yeah, Phoenix Samurai. It's just completely overblown, and it overheats a lot, but it's still something where if you're... If you feather the trigger the right way, you can just completely light people up and it's fun. Um, my other favorite weapon was the remote missile launcher on the Aston Martin, just because I, I love this thing that 2000s era um, video games did where you launched a missile and then you basically saw from the missile's viewpoint while you steered around uh, the various lasers and all that. And it also helped me cheese a sub-boss, like, uh, during the underwater segment. Like, <laughs> there was just the submarine underneath there that always killed me in one hit. So what oh. I did is I just hid behind another submarine and uh, continuously launched my remote missile. And I was completely fine. <laughs> and I took out that sub in, like, 60 seconds. I didn't even know that was a boss. I just, it, it showed up and I just shot three torpedoes and then moved past it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> AI, AI, AI just didn't work out there, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes you get lucky. Yeah. Um, and last segment, I think, is do you have a favorite bug that you encountered? Um, I guess I could reveal. It's not a big deal if I just say I used an emulator here, right? No, I already, I've already said it. Okay. Yeah. Um, for certain cutscenes, not all of them, like, uh, once it switched over to the CG cutscene, you could see, like, it cut into ribbons, sort of, like... You could still see what was happening, but 
you just saw these thick lines between the scenes going up and down. Um, kind of reminded me of playing old uh, FMV adventure games in the 90s where CD-ROMs could not hold much video, so they took out every other line when you were watching those videos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine was more fun than that. I was playing on authentic hardware, so this is just a good old, good old fashioned glitch. Uh, I was having trouble with figuring out the section where uh, Kiko dumps you onto the launch pad, and you have to figure out, you know, how to survive the engines, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I figured it out in the end, of course, but um, I it meant I kept having to do the start of the level, um, and one of the times. Well, I guess I had sort of two bugs encounter like occur at once. One of them was that there's a guy that spawns as you open the first locked door and head down that hallway. Um, and I had it bug so that he was spawning nonstop. Like I was just holding down the trigger and just like like I'd kill seven of this guy and there'd just oh, be a that happens to me too. Like I think <laughs> I think that it's just maybe the way it works is that they keep coming until you run into that door frame yourself. I guess. I guess. Um, but the more fun one was when I did that one really fast. First of all, that guy didn't have time to spawn, but also, um, the, um, the guy, uh, fucking Drake is having, like giving, uh, a speech, basically a motivational speech about like his big plan over the intercom. And once I got past that point where that dude spawns and I was going so fast and he was really early in the speech it just went to like two times speed version of the speech where he's just he's just talking incredibly fast about his plans. It's just like, oh, all right. <laughs> oh, I love his I love how his speech is like <laughs> his speech is the most right wing thing imaginable, which is kind of funny considering Bond is often a very conservative series, but he's talking about Oh, globalization is wrecking the world, so I'm going to take control of the world myself, and things will be better that way. Isn't that right, boardroom executives? That's <laughs> <laughs> very stupid. His, his, his plan is just like, I'm going to tell everyone that I rule the world, and if they say no, I will nuke them. <laughs> like, you are not a very smart man. <laughs> uh, it's... It's kind of amazing that he, he supposedly has such a great public image because anytime, anytime someone just when anytime a reporter just steps thirty feet away, he starts talking about killing some folks. <laughs> he is not subtle about his true purpose as a businessman no. here. No, I, it's. I just can't believe how shallow his plan is. I mean, it's fun that we ended up fighting in space and everything, but like the moment you're like, oh, he does nuclear decommission. It's like, okay, is he building his own nuclear arsenal? Congratulations. That's his entire plan. Yeah. There are no layers here. <laughs> he's building a nuclear arsenal and he's storing it in space because to his mind, nothing will happen if he puts it in space. Though so he's also got a bunch underwater too. Oh, yeah, you do have to blow this up, too. Yep, yep. <sighs> Overall, uh, very stupid game, obviously. But I was... And also, the, you know, one of the, one of the factors of it being, a, you know, a 2003... Or, sorry, 2002 PS2 game is that the controls were weird, right? 
they had something closer to a normal console first-person shooter control situation if you went through the settings a bit, but yeah, it's stuff like hitting A to reload or whatever. It's like, okay, this is a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, there's no combination of controls that to me made sense because it's always like even on the one that made the most sense to me which was the one called nightfire appropriately it was like okay r1 to shoot l1 to scope square to reload but also r2 to reload and it's like okay sure and it's like circle for alternate fire and it's like okay i guess and that's l2 to switch weapon and you're like okay guys wait what are you doing (laughs) huh okay the one that i was using was a bit more normal because it was like right trigger to shoot right bumper to turn on night vision and changing weapons was just hitting up and down on the d-pad and changing gadgets was left and right hmm, maybe it's different on gamecube i don't know yeah it's possible because uh, because i looked at every option and none of them seemed <laughs> totally good they some of them were worse some of them were better but none of them really made sense to me um anyway it's incredibly funny to me that like the pc version of this was just straight up built in the gold source engine like they <laughs> Like, Eurocom was off doing their own thing, and Gearbox was like, what if we built this in Half-Life 1? That's pretty wild. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Gearbox sure is a company. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, this one was was another Randy Pitchford gig, you know? Weird that it didn't turn out well. Um, We'll be back next month with another Bond adventure. Um, another another mission that we're ready to declassify. Um, we would be back much sooner, but of course we've got to negotiate with MI6 about what, what details we're allowed to discuss. Um, Jen, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find me at JBU3 on Twitter. Uh, most of my stuff is on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. I also host a narrative gaming book club podcast with six called uh, Novel Not New HUN Podcast. And you can get to that by going to readinggames.online. All right. If you want to find me, uh, it's, it's at Six Detmar on Twitter, S-A-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. Um, and my DMs are open with any any thoughts or, or comments. Um, I'm also a Scanline Media person, scanlinemedia.com, patreon.com, scanlinemedia. And, uh, you know, listen, friends and folks, until next time, don't love me quietly i don't Hmm. do it with intensity (laughs) or you'll miss the point okay (laughs) that's it's such a weird it's such a weird bond song but i guess they've always had somewhat weird lyrics (laughs) and it's just it's just it it feels like someone being like i guess we have to write a bond song um okay first line let's have loud sex shit not subtle enough (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Peace out, everybody. See ya.